BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. When it walked across the screen and into the hearts of moviegoers everywhere, E.T., the lovable space alien, needed a sound to accompany its movements. Foley artists, the audio magicians who perform sound for movies, decided to use a bag of jello in a damp t-shirt, which they moved in sync with the film. Today we talk with the Foley experts up at Skywalker Sound in Marin, who have walked, whacked, loped, clomped, gummed, and bonged their way through dozens of films, adding the layer of sound that makes you feel like you're there. We'll learn their tricks of the trade and how to hear the world better. That's all coming up. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Here's the thing about Foley artists. It's not just that their jobs sound incredibly fun. It's that they actually come to see the world in an entirely different way from you and me. When we see an object, we see its color, its shape, its size, maybe its value. They see something deeper. Not how it looks, but how it might sound. Its sonic potential and what that sound might be used to emulate. This show was occasioned by a wonderful feature in The New Yorker by Anna Weiner about the team up in Marin at Skywalker Sound. She writes, Only 20% of sounds on screen are generated by the actual objects represented. This presents certain challenges. When a sound cannot be described by its referent, language starts to falter. Sounds are poofy, slimy, or natural. They might need to be slappier or raspier or nebby. They are hingy, ticky, boxy, zippy, or clacky. They are tonal, tasty, punchy, splattery, smacky, spanky. They might be described phonetically, a ka-chunk, 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 or a scritcher, or straightforwardly fake. Welcome, Anna Wiener. This article made me very jealous and also very grateful. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And we are also lucky enough to have the team that she profiled here, too. That is Foley artist John Roche and Shelley Roden, and their man on the other side of the glass, their Foley mixer, Scott Curtis. Welcome, team. Thank you hey so guys. much for having us. Hey, hey everybody. Thanks hey. for having us. Hey, everybody. You, you forgot Zuzzy, by the way. <laughs> Who's Zuzzy? <laughs> the term Zuzzy, but anyway. Oh, Zuzzy. Hey, oh, the term Zuzzy. What's Zuzzy? Zuzzy is uh, scratching your fingers on corduroy, like a zzz. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> or a um, zipline. Oh, we're a zipline. Uh, John, um, first for clarity, I want to talk about first, like, what is Foley and what is not Foley when it comes to sound? Because we're not, like, talking about, like, quote, unquote, like, sound effects. 
Well, we're the custom sound effects of the film, or if you were, if you will, that is, of course, if you have a, a car engine rev, you know, that's fairly easy in a sense to get from a sound library, but literally maybe uh, turning the wheel, putting your hands in the wheel, turning the keys, all those things <clears throat> can be so uh, unusual in that it's easier for us and most likely probably quicker for us to, to do those uh, on the Foley stage. Because And also it has the added ability, it's, since we're doing it, we see live a picture, we give it a sense of, a more of a sense of soul, more of a sense of reality, more of a sense of realism. Because if we've done our job correctly, you don't know we've done it. Mm -hmm. Anna, you got to visit the Foley stage, right, as they were working. Can you just give us like a bit of a, like a description? Like, what are we, when we talk about a Foley stage, am I just imagining like high school theater <laughs> or what does it look like? <laughs> um, sure, absolutely. The Foley stage that I visited, it's one of several, I believe, at Skywalker Sound. There are a few different Foley teams, and it is a soundproofed, uh, I think it's, I believe it's a former barn. Um, and it, it, it's a sound stage, and it has different um, textures on the ground. Different, uh, there are two water pits in this particular on this particular stage. In the back is what I sort of saw as an archive of objects, all of which are categorized by the sounds that they make. Um, and to me, this was just a wonderland. It's a the the work that that John and Shelley and Scott do is completely impossible for me <laughs> for me to. Um, to, to understand personally, I think that, you know, to be able to see an image and then identify what that sound should be um, and then to know what objects will produce that sound is just like an intellectual exercise that I could never quite, um, you know, it's, it's, it's outside of my personal scope. And so to be in this space and watch them, um, you know, pull out these props and to have a sort of intuition of how they sound when, you know, rubbed against a certain surface or, um, you know, there's a lot of work also with the microphones. And so uh, I don't know if, if Shelly, maybe you want to <laughs> augment that at all, but it's, it's a, it feels a little bit like a cross between um, someone's very well-organized attic and a sort <laughs> of a <laughs> typical, typical soundstage. Yeah, I think that Anna described it perfectly. It's our artist's palette, for lack of a better mm. phrase. And it does include all the surfaces and movable surfaces so we can build them. If we need to build a spaceship that has a certain resonance or a creaky wood floor, then we can move certain pieces on and off of an existing basey wood floor that is built in. And... If you walk in, you might think you're in a thrift store or <laughs> the best yard sale you've ever seen in your life with giant props and props you can hold with your hand uh, filed away, like Anna yeah. said. Yeah. I, John, I've listened to a lot of interviews with you over the years, um, and I have to say that you really emphasize the footsteps. Like, they seem to be sort of kind of the base layer of, of the art. Can you talk about why that's so important? They're deceptive. And in fact, uh, just so you know, Shelley is probably the best person doing footsteps that I know of. And that being said, they are deceptive. That is, you know, you think, well, it's just kind of somebody walking across a, uh, a wooden floor, you know, in the courtroom. But how are they walking? And, you know, are they sure of themselves? Is it the prosecutor? Is he going to get the person dead to rights? 
or is it somebody that's afraid to go take the stand because they know if they give testimony, this all of a sudden they're going to their life's in jeopardy. So there's so many nuances and things you want to inject into just something as simple as a footstep. It's incredibly difficult. In fact, to my mind, it takes about 10 years for a foliarist to get seasoned to the point where they can actually create that nuance where you really feel that is alive. And of course, adding into this, if you're doing anything animation-wise, there is no original production sound for us to listen to, to potentially get an idea of what the surface is, et cetera. And so that really, you know, in order to bring that to life, to give it a sense of soul, if you will, you really have to to uh, go all out, go all out for that, if you will. So, but again, as I say, Shelley really is the master of that. Thanks, John. <laughs> um, Scott, I wanted to uh, bring you into this conversation because one of the things that seems really cool about your work is that while the Foley artists are kind of performing the sound, your mix and mic placement and all these other things are kind of creating the space. As I kind of came to think of it. That's yeah, that's very true. Um, trying to get perspective, trying to get it because again, when we set these surfaces up, they're you know the the surface may work best, but it's really only a one foot or two feet by two foot square. And so if the character is running across the screen right to left, trying to get some sense of motion and movement in that two foot square space is impossible to do. So I have to I have to mimic. Hopefully we're inside or something. I can use room microphones as well as close microphones and create a mix between the two um, where it does give a sense of being far away in the room. And as the character comes closer to camera, I can adjust and make the feature more of the close mic versus the far away mic. So tricks like that can make can make just like I said this person that's walking in pl- running or walking in place seem like they're moving in space. Yeah, so cool. Um, we're going to play sound effects throughout the show. Obviously, listeners, I'm I, you were you had to be expecting that. Um, <laughs> first, I want to know out there if people have questions for this incredible team. What's a sound effect that you loved and remember from a film, or what's a sound effect? that you'd like to know how to make. And again, remember, we're not talking about the hard sounds or like, you know, explosions of cars. We're talking about the soft stuff, people touching, people walking, people, you know, opening a door, drinking from a glass. Give us a call, 866-733-6786. I guess it can also be like tentacles slapping around. There's quite a variety of things. 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's KQED Forum, or you can email forum at kqed.org. Uh, John, all right, let's start getting to some of these sounds. You can perform them, as I think is the right verb. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, should I just pick one from, from my Balovic? Yeah, let's pick. All right, well, I guess let me, let me since, of course, nobody's watching me, I can just perform this, and maybe you can tell me what it is. But let's, well, here we go. Oh. I, um, let's see, your pitch is bending. Uh, (laughs) um, Is it, um, I I happen to know that one of your things is a, is a tuning fork. Is it a tuning fork? That that's, well, it's in that area of being a musical instrument, but it's actually uh, something that was built for us for a film called Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's a Boing Box. Oh! (laughs) Boing Box literally is 
think of a, a one-stringed instrument, uh, like a cigar box, if you will, with a neck on it. And the neck is extremely thin and one string. And so since the neck is thin, you can manipulate it, bend it. So it goes uh, from pitches from low to high, oing, or the other way around, or a series of what you heard. So uh, yeah, there you go. Ah, I love it. And Shelly, how about among your uh, tools, your, your artifacts there? Can we hear one? Okay, I have several things laid out on the table, but I'm going to choose my favorite. I will demonstrate right now. What do you think it is, Alexis? Okay, before I tell you what I think it is, tell me what it, you might use that sound for. Oh boy, so many things. I'm going to say I used this tool, believe it or not, in Avengers of Infinity War when Thor was restrained by metal beams and he was trying to get out. <laughs> that doesn't okay, sound... Now, now that I know that, give it to me one more time. Sure, sure. Time. I'm going to give it to you a different way, actually. Okay. That was just one item. Now I'm going to hold it against a larger item. Oh. Sounds quite different, doesn't it? it, it um, is this what's technically known as a scritcher? <laughs> it is not good guess, though, because That's not it's a pretty, uh. pretty hideous sounding, isn't it? It's not very pleasant, <laughs> so I can see why you would call it a scritcher. Should nice. I reveal? Yeah, yeah. yeah, tell me. So I'm using what Anna mentioned in the article, the metal towel bar that I inherited from my friend Rick Partlow, who's a Foley artist, and it has two koi fish at the end of it, and if I do it by itself, it's not very exciting. It's just, just small, but if I hold it against a larger piece of metal, it deepens it, and so that's where Scott comes in, too, because it still doesn't sound very exciting like Thor's struggling, so Scott would add depth to that, so boost cool. it. Yeah. We're talking about the bumps, kachunks, gurs, and shashankers that are all part of the Foley Artist Toolbox. We're joined by John Roche, a Foley artist who works with Shelley Rhoda, another Foley artist, and Scott, Ertis, their fo Scott Curtis, their Foley mixer, as well as Anna Wiener, staff writer with The New Yorker. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply, not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. We're talking about bumps, kachunks, gurs, and shashankers. We're talking, of course, about the Foley Artist Toolbox. Foley artists are sound musicians who bring movies to life by adding sound effects. You didn't know that they actually needed to have added. We're joined by a crack Foley team from Skywalker Sound, which includes John Roche, a Foley artist who's been working for 35 years and worked on 
I mean, hundreds of films, so many, including E.T., Raiders of the Lost Ark, Encanto, and more. Uh, Shelley Roden, another Foley artist, 25 years. Uh, hundreds of films also, including Soul, Thor, as we just heard, Thor, Ragnarok, uh, Black Panther, and many more. Uh, Scott Curtis, their mixer, the other kind of crucial part of the team. Film credits include Titanic, Team America, Black Panther, and yes, a gajillion other films. And Anna Wiener, staff writer for The New Yorker, wrote a feature, beautiful feature about them called Noisemakers, which inspired this segment. Um, Terry in Concord has an excellent question here. Um, if I can figure out how to click on him, which I can't for some reason. We will we'll bring in Terry's question uh, in just a second. Let's do a little bit of history, though. Um, we Where does this kind of art come from, Anna? Sure. So um, the sort of the art of adding sound effects to moving pictures began in the late 19th century. Um, Foley takes its name from a prop man and assistant director um, who was working in the late 1920s. But you had decades of people sort of trying to figure out how to how to um, add sound to to picture and it really emerged from a sort of musical uh, tradition. And one of the things that I learned talking to Emily Thompson, who's a historian um, at Princeton, is that in the in the early days of moving pictures, um, a lot of the the the, the sound effects <laughs> um, that accompanied films were really contingent on the specific theaters in different neighborhoods. And so there was no sort of uniformity to the way that um, accompaniment sounded. And so in certain neighborhoods, certain areas, uh, there might even be sort of a subversive soundtrack to a film. Um, and then in any case, as, uh, as sound was added to film in a more formal and uh, uniform way in the 20s, um, Jack Foley was this figure, I guess, at, um, at Warner Brothers. And he built out a team of, of prop men and stuntmen, and they, you know, started adding... Um, oh, forgive me. I'm sorry. He was at Universal, <laughs> not Warner Brothers, a um, the rival. Uh, and people sort of in homage started to name their sound effects stages, Foley stages, Foley rooms. And um, yeah, I, I think that as um, as movies became more complex, as, as sound technology developed, uh, this became less of a sort of minimal addition to films and really an important part of building the environment and of, you know, of the art of uh, conveying a feeling through cinema. Yeah. You know, um, part of the delight of this profession is also that the sounds are being made by objects that kind of bear no resemblance to the tools that you use to sort of make the sounds. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about some sounds that are, that are hard to make. Um, Shelley, let's start with you. Like, what's a what's a sound where you just go like, "Oh man, that's tough." I would say the f more most difficult thing is to create the sound of heavy armor for soldiers, and huh. the reason is if you hold two pieces of metal together and start moving them, they sound clacky and high, and what you want is the sound of tough, you know, "I'm going to go to war" kind of feeling, and metal is very, very difficult to handle to, in order to get it to sound that way. So that's where, again, where we rely on Scott's tricks. Um, 
And a really good reference for this is referring to what Anna said about Jack Foley. One of his great accomplishments was to save the Roman soldiers marching scene in Spartacus Uh by just grabbing a bunch of keys and shaking them in time with the soldiers marching. And we wouldn't do that today because technology has improved, but it works quite well if you want to look it up on YouTube, Roman soldiers (laughs) marching Spartacus. And he's literally shaking keys. Yes. And we know John and I are very friendly with Robert Foley, who is Jack Foley's grandson, and he still has one of the original pairs of keys that his grandfather used. No kidding. Yeah. John, how about how about you? What's something that's difficult for you to perform? Well, <clears throat> I'd say water. And when I say water, not, you know, picking up a drinking glass or the ice moving, et cetera, but actually if somebody's fallen into the water or they're swimming around or even going underwater. Now, of course, if we're talking underwater, really that's, you know, Scott's doing his thing. Um, and well, of course, he does this thing all the time. But, um, you know, because water is, is very, oh, kind of encompasses all the frequencies, if you will. So if you don't really make it specific, it doesn't really, f- quote, feel right, therefore sound right. So that's that's really, really tough. But I, I find that to be one of the things I really enjoy most. I guess it's because of the challenge. And uh, as I say, especially when I'm finished doing my thing and Scott does his and we go, oh, okay. Well, do you have it. wait? Does that mean you have like a splash pool on the Foley st- on the Foley well, stage? As Anna mentioned, uh, we have um, actually three water setups. One is an incline where we can dam up, so we can go from a little bit of water into maybe a foot worth of water. Then there's a think of like a bathtub size mm-hmm. of tank, and then in front of that one is the huge 450 gallon water tank. So. Uh, literally, I could do a cannonball in there, not hurt myself, although I really wouldn't want to. And uh, and it doesn't sound like we're inside a room. That's the key because it's so big. It it sounds like we're out. We can be out in the ocean or a lake or someplace. So, uh, yeah. But that'd be the probably one of the hardest things for me. That's so interesting. Let's bring in caller David in Oakland. Welcome, David. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Hi, David. Good morning, David. Hi, folks. Um, I had a question. Um, I work in video games. I'm an, I'm an audio director, but I haven't dealt a lot with Foley um, in the kind of interactive spaces. Um, and I'm wondering this team's experience um, with interactive Foley and maybe some of your favorite kind of examples of that, if you've had any in that context. Yeah. Shelly, do you want to start? Or sure, start? sure. John and I worked on Halo 4 together, and that was very fun because we had to create characters that didn't exist in real life, including, um, what is the main guy's name, John? Well, you've got the Master Chief. Master Chief. So his armor, and then there was a crustacean slimy type character. (laughs) (laughs) So we ended up, you know, it was described to us in that way. So we think, okay, what would create a crustacean that is slimy? How about a chamois? Um, and some pine cones and maybe some palm frond bark and put it all together, make a beautiful recipe that will create this character movement. Wait, why are chamois such a big deal in Foley? Like, I, first describe what a chamois is, and then, like, why are these? Because they seem to be something you guys use for a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's a great, um, very dependable prop. And you can go into any auto parts store and get it. It's pretty much, it's just sheepskin that is used to absorb water off of a car. 
when you wash it. So it holds a ton of water and it's great for gore. It's great for fish movements um, and puddles. And it contains the water very well. It's easy to control. So it's just a jack of all trades. And then do you just like slap it on stuff? Sure. Or like how, yeah. Oh, yeah. She, slaps, she slaps me. I do. <laughs> In a playful way. <laughs> Um, that's so fun. Let's uh, bring in um, Robin in Redwood City. Hi, good morning. Hello. Hi, Robin. Good morning, Robin. Hi. You guys asked for um, sound. So for me, I think it's a dichotomous experience. I don't know how it would affect other people. But the wings of a hummingbird, the trill or thrumming, however you describe it, it's sort of both very soothing and very exciting at the same time. So that's one of my favorite sounds, hummingbirds, other than yeah. children's laughter. <laughs> uh, um, so how would you go about, someone says like, all right, you're, you get the reel from a film and there's a hummingbird like zipping along. Um, where do you, where, what do you reach for? Well, well, Scott, you, you would see what we would set up. So why don't you, why don't you tell the story? Because you with just the microphone to make sure it sounds right. I have well, an example, I mean, by the way, too, after you're yeah, done. Yeah, I was going to say, most most of the time, I actually try not to see what they're using because I don't want the that prop mm. to kind of, I don't want to be able to hear the prop. If I see it, then I'm going to imagine that that's all I'm going to see. And so it's like, why are they using a, a corn broom to, to do the fluttering of a hummingbird, you know? <laughs> and so that's all I'll hear. Mm-hmm. But so I don't I actually don't like to listen or I don't like to see what they're using for a prop uh, and right, try to see if they can fool me. Shelly's got to spill the tea then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I'm going to spill tea all over this desk. Are you ready? <laughs> Here we go. Here's my attempt at a hummingbird with, with the found objects I have next to me. Mm. Let's try it this way. It's pretty hard, actually. I don't have the props I need. Um, but let's that's see. good bird. I, I would give you pigeon there. I think you sold me. You sold me pigeon. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Right. I think you're absolutely right. Here's the thing. What would you What would you think I'm using first of all? And then I'll explain to you how I would create hummingbird oh, wings yeah. if I had the tools. What do I think you're using there? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Everyone at home is going a book is this... like book book pages. Okay. Good call. It's actually a bamboo mat, like place mat, Ooh. for the the you know, crisp stuff, and then a feather duster. So that's what you can use to create pigeon wings. Hold one in one hand and then flap the feather duster against the other one. But hummingbirds are so much quicker, so we use this trick, which is a wheel. And so you can turn a bicycle upside down, or you can turn a a wheelchair upside down and hold a feather in the spokes like you did when you were a kid with with the cards. And you go as fast as you want. You can control the speed. And then you have a hummingbird. And, and that would be the front wheel only. Of course, not the geared rear, rear wheels. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> Good, yes. Thank you. For anyone out there trying this at home, just know that. Um, John, um, you also, what, there, there are some kinds of sounds where, like, you know, we know what a hummingbird is like in, in real life. But let's say you've got something like Tinkerbell, which I know you worked on. Like, what do, what do you do then? I mean, you're just, you come up with, you're inventing the sound of Tinkerbell then. Well, let's say we've just done a section where Tinkerbell uh, is in a tree and then flies down and a lights on Robin's William's shoulder. 
so we've taken the bicycle and the front tire, spun it, and the feather in there. We have that aspect. Great, but let's make her sound magical. So here we go. <laughs> or... Now, these might be a little bit difficult to hear, but these are harmony balls. Uh, back in the day, there's something called head shops. You'd walk in there and they had all sorts of great things. And these were on lanyards and they went around your neck. And as you walked, it kind of made this pleasant sound. So I bought about 10 of them because each of them are different size. So therefore different pitch, therefore different emotions. And that's what we try to do. So if Tinkerbell's angry, we would take one and- Ooh, so mad. Yeah. Right, or if she was happy, so that's how we did it for that film. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's so cool. You know, Scott, one, one thing that they have each mentioned is this idea of layering sounds. Mm. Is that something that they're doing because they're performing with two hands or they're like stomping and doing something with their hands? Or is that something that you're doing on the other side of the glass, mixing a few different takes together? I, I mean, I would say yes to that answer or that question. Um, because sometimes sometimes it is that they're doing, they're, you know, sometimes John will be doing one thing and Shelley will, will be doing something else. And so the two together in real time is a performance in and of itself. Um, but there are also times where working with either one of them uh, will do one aspect of the cue and then, okay, let's change gears. And now let's do the slimy part of it. And then now let's go back and add a hairy part to it and add the <laughs> add those three layers together and you get the whole animal or whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish yeah um so yes there's there can be layering it really just depends on what you know what's needed uh for the given cue there are some um kind of fun questions coming one is uh just straight appreciation mary french tweets the forgotten creative artists that are the meat and potatoes of a movie, underappreciated by the public mostly, but recognized in the industry when it comes to awards. And another uh, appreciator of your work uh, says, I'm a huge fan of the art of Foley. I'm a percussionist and have found a lot of crossover between the two practices. What steps does one take to get into the business? Let's deal with that a little bit later. I imagine it's an apprenticeship type situation. But let's just take that first part. Why would a drummer find some crossover between you know his practices and yours shelly i think you're the best one to answer that because you know some people that do that thanks john um so oddly enough i've improvised with fred frith because he takes his guitar and throws foley props at it and i saw him in a concert and i said hey i, I get what you're doing and and this is what i do and he's like let's improvise so it's i think foley artists are very aware of rhythm and feeling and timbre um, and the quality of materials. And so are percussionists. And everything is thought of in layers, like you were saying, but in, an, in terms of orchestration. So, for example, what Scott was saying, we layered a particular scene in Mulan, the live-action live Mulan, um, it's on YouTube. It says dress up for the matchmaker service. And you can actually hear everything we did. They played everything we did. But we broke it apart in when she's getting her hair done and they tighten her hair. Um, we would do a hair part. And then we did this like zzz to make it sound uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. then for the powder, 
it was like this trickling, beautiful thing. But in a percussionist brain, what would I use to create that? Not a shaker. It has to sound natural. Let's experiment with breadcrumbs or coconut, um, shredded mm-hmm. coconut, and see what has the proper weight because the microphone has to be able to read it. And so um, the brush in the in the palette is separate because it's an impact and it can't be recorded at the same time as the breadcrumbs. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm touching on a bunch of different subjects we've talked about, but um, you know, so I've cool. I've watched percussionists like Karen Stackpole, who's a who's a local person, and she also plays music with foley props, and that's what we do. We're we're basically musicians with our feet and our hands. Mm. You know, there is a listener uh, with a question for you, Scott, which is, you know, we were hearing about, like, you're making a sound, but you also need the sound to be recorded by the mic. And this listener asks, you know, do you use unusual microphones to get unusual sounds? For example, a parabolic mic or a mic submerged in water. I mean, I have a hydrophone, and it does create, like, just fascinating sounds when, uh, underwater. But what do you, do you use special mics, or is that you use kind of fairly standard mics, but just with all these amazing techniques we've been talking about? Scott? Uh, <laughs> the, the mics I use, for, so part of the reason, part, part of the purpose of Foley is to take, take our recorded footsteps, for instance, but be able to make, to be able to play it with production mm-hmm. uh, that's recorded on set. And on set recording, really, the primary thing that they're looking for is recorded di- recording the dialogue. Mm-hmm. If the mic picks up footsteps or hand pats or any other thing, it's not really that's not really their goal. It just happens to be that hey, if you smack somebody on the back while they're talking, you're gonna you know you might hear that that hand impact in production. So we'll go in and we we do like I said, we do the footsteps and stuff like that. So. The, the reason I'm bringing this up is that I need a microphone that's going to match the microphones that they use in production so that our recorded stuff plays well with the production. Yeah. So the... I Well, hold on. Uh, hold that thought till uh, on the other <laughs> side and we'll get back to mics. We're talking about the Foley Artist Toolbox. We're joined by an amazing Foley team from Skywalker Sound and Anna Wiener who wrote a great story about them in The New Yorker. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more on this right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. When you're watching a movie, you might zoom by the sounds that characters make, but behind those sounds are the Foley artists who put the splattery, smacky, spanky into the movies. 
We're joined by the Foley team from Skywalker Sound, including John Roche, Foley artist, been working for 35 years. Shelly Roden, another Foley artist, 25 years of experience. Scott Curtis, their incredible Foley mixer. And Anna Wiener, who wrote an uh, amazing feature on them called Noisemakers in The New Yorker. And we're also hearing from you. You know, What's a sound effect that you loved and remember from a film? Maybe we can deconstruct it for you uh, here on the air. Uh, the number is 866-733-6786. What's a sound out there in the world that you love and you wonder how Foley artists might approach emulating it? You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, KQED Forum, and the email is forum at KQED. Dot org. Scott, before we went to the break, I had to cut you off, sadly, sorry. Uh, we were talking about matching, like, what mics to use, and you, in particular you were talking about how you have to use mics that would match the production microphones that were used, you know, for making Black Panther. Correct. Uh, so the, the microphone in particular, one, one mic I used is the, it's a Neumann, uh, M, what is it, U87? No, mm-hmm. not the 87. What is my Sennheiser? <laughs> no, well, there's the Sennheiser MKH 800, which is one of my favorite mics. Neumann. But the Neumann, oh my gosh, I can't believe 81. Cam- 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 Camar 81. Yeah. There you go. Oh, V. Anyway, um, <laughs> and that microphone in particular is highly directional. Um, so it's it's called a shotgun mic, which means you wherever you aim it um, is where you're what you're going to hear. Um, and then the the the, the, the other microphone that I use mostly is the Sennheiser MKH 800. Nice. Um, both mics are extremely quiet, which is important because a lot of times when we're doing like little intricate hand movements or cloth movements, you know, a lot of times we're trying to get a certain amount of level out of it, but the inherent performance of that of that prop is just doesn't generate a lot of noise or a lot of uh, a lot of um, source material and so i need i need microphones that'll that will really get in there and and but stay quiet at the same time yeah um i want to get to a few more sounds and i know that we have uh a classic a a classic way of generating the sound of breaking bones and don't (laughs) don't tell us how you do it yet but if you can uh could we hear that uh, object that's used to make that uh, make the sound of breaking bones, and uh, we will try it. I think it's you, Shelley, who has it, right? Here we go. Ah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that added some realism to it. Sorry. Um, so, uh, guess I, what I used. <laughs> yeah, I'll give I'll give listeners a second, yes. and I'll give them a I'll give them a hint. It's something you might find in your kitchen. Okay, tell us what it is. Oh me? Yeah. yeah oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, celery is very stereotypical in the Foley world. Um, so yes, there is celery, but we like to layer it, or I like to layer it um, with. Uncooked lasagna noodles. <laughs> <laughs> because um, on our side of the glass, we try to make as complex and, and dynamic of a sound that we can. So the celery adds one th- element. Let me try to show you what element that adds. It's this. Okay. Oh, yeah. And a then, crunch. <laughs> yeah, and then the lasagna is more like the bones. Oh. And then you have to wrap it up in a cloth so it sounds internal. 
And so I have a neutral piece of cloth here that I've wrapped both of them inside. That's so interesting. And so because that that cloth basically just muffs, takes some of that like top end and makes it sound like it's happening inside yeah, the skin. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you heard the first very large sound I made was in the cloth, and then the others were revealed outside of the cloth. It's quite different. Yeah. Um, Anna Wiener, as, as you were reporting this story and you started to like hear this kind of thing, did you become like insufferable to cook with or, <laughs> or just like go to the market? You'd be like, ooh, that's Swiffer. You know what we could do with that? And my husband would be like, come on. I think that I became insufferable to spend time with, period, because I was listening to things really differently. Mm. And it was less that I was thinking about how to generate sounds, because like I was saying, I think this is, it's actually, um, it's it looks really fun, but I think it's also a ton of work and very physically and intellectually demanding to do this kind of sound effects work. And um, so it was more that I was listening to things and trying to identify what they, how they might have been made or just walking down the street, hearing different sounds and sort of trying to dissociate the sounds that I understood to be, you know, exhaust from a bus or um, someone opening the door of a shop and just thinking, you know, what else could that be? Mm-hmm. And um, as someone who likes to narrate their experience of the world to whoever is around, um, <laughs> I think that that probably made me a difficult company for a few months. That's great. Um, let's bring in Melody from Oakland. Hey, Melody. Sure yeah. can. Go ahead. Hi. Awesome. Um, I used to be a volunteer at KALW Cross Currents Radio News Magazine uh, many years ago, and I was in the production um, part where I got to mix the stories that the journalists would bring in for us. And there was about three of us doing production, and we, you know, got to add in fun sounds if needed. And that was such a fun part of that job. Um, going through the sound archives to find the perfect sound, and we would kind of turn it into a challenge. Like one day we needed a fish flop sound for a California salmon story, and, <laughs> you know, it was like all day long we were looking for that perfect fish flop sound, and we were, like, competing, like, whose fish flop sound that they found was the best and, like, made the story come to life that much better. And, like, it was just so silly and fun and to, like, nerd out about sounds. And it's kind of, I was just thinking, like, how amazing um, to think that, like, at the time I just imagined, like, someone went out with a microphone and actually found a fish flop, like, found a fish flopping and recorded it. So now I'm realizing, like, actually they probably, like, were using celery or something. Like, ah, what? A chamois. Totally a chamois. Yeah. Chicken <laughs> breast. I feel like chicken breast might be... Um, yeah. <laughs> Uncooked. Unnecessary, dude. Uncooked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How exciting. Like, this conversation is exciting me so much. And just remembering back to the time, because I'm a nail artist now. I do something completely different yeah. um, art-wise and job-wise, but... Like, I'm just so excited by this, and it's reminding me, like, how much joy I found in listening to sounds and finding the perfect sounds. And, wow, what what incredible jobs you have that you actually get to make the perfect sound for the perfect yeah. moment. How cool is that? And I'm just curious also, um, you know, it sounds like you're going to touch on it eventually, but, like, what how you is get the into career this? path for someone? Yeah, yeah basically. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, thanks so much, Melody. Appreciate your appreciation. Um, how do you get into this? It seems, um, I don't know, an unlikely thing to get into. Well, you mentioned previous to this that uh, what about an internship or mentorship, something like that. Unfortunately, there really is no path like that per se. 
That being said, right now, literally at this moment, down in Los Angeles, this is a great time to try to break in. Why? There's a, a need for, for people to, to, to do Foley. Um, I know of a couple people that have actually asked us, you know, do we know of anybody? Because they're looking to staff down there. Now, and for a couple of reasons are, of course, streaming, there's much more material being done and or you have people that are retiring. So it's opened up um, an area as I say, a, a window of opportunity. Now, how you directly get into Foley, that's a kind of a, that's been a whole nother program, but I guess at its core, you know, somehow get on someplace, maybe just, you know, get the coffee or do whatever, especially if they have a Foley stage, maybe after hours, if they have a stage, they will let you work there. You do a student film and maybe you'll get your shot if somebody gets sick one day or something, but that's kind of the, you know, 60 second yeah. capsule for you. Yeah, John just described how I got in. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we also uh, we have some incredible memories uh, coming in. Uh, Toby writes in to say, as a kid, I was obsessed with recording sounds and using them in stories I'd record on my cassette tapes. I had a record, I think, from Disney of sound effects I could use, but also had a list of directions from somewhere on how to make various sounds. One of my favorites was stab a cantaloupe with a steak knife <laughs> to make the sound of a person being stabbed. I have memories of decimated cantaloupes as I labored over the tape player in my bedroom. Wondering if your guests have heard of this. Is that uh, best practice? <laughs> okay. I'd like to answer that one. <laughs> sure. Um, I would say please use caution, but yes, um, we definitely stab vegetables and fruits um, for mafia definitive edition there was a particularly gory scene and we spent probably about 20 minutes experimenting and seeing which vegetable or fruit gave off the right uh, fleshy sound um, and we found pineapples work pretty well as, as well as cantaloupes and watermelon is the go-to um, and you can use your hands so you don't have to use a knife uh, it would be more if you think of more surface area coming in contact with the vegetable, that's your hand, not a knife. A knife mm -hmm. is very thin and it's specific. So if you want more dimension and, and giantness, uh, use your hand or something else mm -hmm. like it. And, and as a follow-on to that, of course, as mentioned before, uh, layering sounds, yes, do the hands and then maybe you would have a separate track with a knife and maybe a little jing with a knife or in others if you want to kind of create it something which is over the top or really like oh my gosh you know so that's that's the wonderment and the fun of us doing our job you know it's we get play, paid playing a sandbox Ooh, what was that right there it was a jing oh that was a <laughs> <laughs> that actually totally makes sense i mean i yeah, Anna and, and the crew, just in general, I mean, as you, one of the hard things is, you know, we mentioned it in the in the intro, like, you have to come up with a language to describe these sounds that just doesn't really exist. When you're saying things to each other, do you know exactly what the other person means when they say, you know, we need more kashank? You're like, oh, yeah, totally need more kashank. Hold on, just give me, let me get a, a more resonant piece of metal. Like, do you know that? Scott, what do you think? Oh, absolutely. We, yeah. If you were to sit on the stage while we we're talking, Anna can attest to this. We, we speak in tongues. so strangely to each other in tones. And then, you know, can, it needs to be a little more nebby or uh, it's all shorthand. Um, Sometimes we don't we, even speak. We just go meh. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes we just go, man. So that means, oh, we got to scratch everything and start all over. <laughs> right. well, one, of the, one of the fun things Scott will say, too, from time to time, when well, I'm doing footsteps, let's say exterior on, on asphalt or something, he said, can you add a little more coffee grinds? Because that, that is, and of course, you know, what Shelly will tell us, you know, you want to really get a sense of the surface and, and the bonding and the, the texture, you know, and so, he, you know, he might say, you know, more coffee grinds. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's do a little lightning round of sounds that you all have, just because the people demand more sound effects is what I'm hearing from the producers. <laughs> okay. Okay. John, do you have something? I do. Go uh, for watch it. Yours, watch yours, engineer. Here we go. And this is E.T.'s finger. You can hear that. And if your Ooh. ears are... Try that again, Give John. it to me one more time. One more time. Here we go. See, the mic cuts out. See how difficult it is to record metal? Ooh. <laughs> and it is because you... That's... Ooh, there it is. Yeah, so... Okay, unfortunately, I have to hit it hard to have it to, you know, to vibrate. And it's the vibration that we recorded when E.T.'s finger went up whoop, and helped out Elliot's boo-boo. <laughs> so oh, man. And it's just like that ooh kind of sound. Yeah. Um, I have one more real quick, too. Go yeah. Uh, here we go. Uh, for out on grass, walking. Uh, this is something we'd use to kind of help help it. Oh, yeah. Hear? I hear that. Yeah, that, that is yeah. uh, Easter, Easter grass, one of many different things we'll utilize. Wait, what Easter grass, like the stuff that comes, like you have like fake eggs <laughs> and like uh, Cadbury, Cadbury eggs, like that stuff? Hey, you better wait stock up or it only comes up once a year. <laughs> wait a minute. I was going to say, wait a minute. The Easter bunny's not real? Anyway. It yes. sounded to me like you were eating cereal, John. <laughs> it did, Are you yeah. having Captain Crunch this morning, John? Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I, like I do every day. Uh, <laughs> that's a, but yeah, again, that's kind of, that's kind of fun because there you go. That's the magic of, of Foley or sound effects, if you will, because, you know, it, you heard it differently, although it was the same prop, if you will. So that's what we try to do when we look at the picture and go, what's going to work there? And what you we might do would not be what you might think. That's a great segue into what I'm about to share. So I'm going to demonstrate a historical Foley prop used by Aura Nichols, who is the head of CBS Radio. Mm. Here you go. Oh, I know what that is. What is it? I know what that is. I mean, it's used to do a bicycle, right? But it's an egg beater. It is. Good Boom. job. You see, we've evolved from egg beaters, but um, as a tribute to her, I just wanted to tell the story of how Orson Welles wanted to bring in, for the sound of mowing grass, okay, with a push mower that is obviously not powered by gas, um, he wanted to bring in actual sod and a mower, and Ora Nichols said, no, here's how I'm going to do it. <laughs> and it worked. Yeah. That, so, I mean... I, one of the things that's so beautiful about this, though, right, is that different sounds can actually represent kind of different things out in the world. Like the same sound can actually be multiple different things. And some of it, right, is what you all would describe as selling that sound, right? The combination of the picture and the sound makes your brain go like, aha, it's a lawnmower. Exactly. Right? I mean, and, and the thing with radio that's totally different is you have to sell it even more specifically, like any off-camera um sound effects that we do is d more difficult to sell because you don't have the visual accompaniment that says, oh, yes, I'm blending this and this together, and that makes perfect sense. So interesting. Um, 
Last thing, uh, Bill tweets, in the early 1980s, I heard Kathy uh, McAnally, the late KQED producer, in an audio documentary called Sound and Film. In it, she interviewed Walter March, Ben Burt, and Alan Splett about their work. One anecdote that stood out was March recording how they recorded a gunshot in Apocalypse Now at a rifle range in the Berkeley Hills. They then changed the pitch of some of them to make them sound more menacing in comparison to the others. And this gave a subliminal impression of an evil enemy. You know, John Rush, this is something that I've heard you say before, that you want to use the sound to advance the storyline, right? And that kind of seems like a good example of that. Absolutely. In fact, um, that that example, not using a, you know, a ricochet or a bullet, but let's say a character, and let's say, unfortunately, it's a World War II film and we have a Nazi who's crossing over and stopping from a poor prisoner. So we're going to give not only the, the, the boot sound, a hard sound, harsh sound, but we might add some leather creak to it, you know, to kind of a foreshadowing of like, mm-hmm. this is a, you know, bad, bad person. And uh, so that's, you know, we'll do something like that. Um, that's yeah. so good. Yeah. We have been talking about the bumps, the kachunks, the gurs, the shashankers that are all part of the Foley Artist Toolbox. Thank you so much for playing along with us, the the Foley team from Skywalker Sound. That includes Foley artists John Roche and Shelley Roden. Thank you so much, John and Shelley. Thank you so much. Pleasure. It's been a lot and of fun. And their Foley mixer, the only job in Foley more rare than artist mixer, Scott Curtis. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Yay, Thanks Scott. For saying that. Please, Scott. <laughs> Thank you. Scott. Thank you very much. Yeah. Between them, they've worked on hundreds of movies, Black Panther, Encanto, uh, um, I mean, so many films and in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. And we've also been joined by... Anna Wiener, staff writer with The New Yorker. Absolutely tremendous, tremendous writing in her feature, Noisemakers, which inspired this segment. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alexis. This hour. Oh, yeah, yay, Anna. Exactly. This hour of forum is produced by Blanca Torres, Grace Wan, Jennifer Ng, Cesar Saldana, Marlena Jackson Rotondo is our engagement producer, Judy Campbell's lead producer. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, Brendan Willard, Chris Hoff and Christopher Beale. Our interns are Paul C. Kelly Campos and Lulu Ralda. Susan Davis, senior producer. Our executive editor is Ethan Tovin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This was one of the most fun shows we've ever done. Thank you so much, Foley team. This is Forum. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.